Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Be The Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you to live out your faith in everyday context so that you can be the church. I am your producer, Isaiah Fetterman. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Anderson. And I'm your other host, David Dominguez. Fantastic. And we are continuing through our book series, uh, In Gentle and Lowly. Uh, if you would like to follow along, we have a free book for you because it has been very helpful for all of us and we would love for you to be encouraged by it as well. So feel free to email us at podcast at uh, and we can try to connect with you to get it to you on Sunday. Or if you're further away, put your, not email, your address in the email that you send and we will ship it to you for free. Uh, That is our gift to you because it has been such a blessing and we would love for it to be a blessing for you as well. Um, We are getting near the end of this uh, book. So we've got, this is chapter 22. That's 21. No, today is 20. No, 21. Yes, that's what I meant to say. Today is chapter 21 and there's two more chapters after that and we're almost to the end. So... With that, uh, feel free to email us if you have any ideas for what you think we should do next. And maybe your idea will be picked. Ooh, how mm. exciting. So email us at podcast at with questions or ideas, and we'll take a look. Then, without further ado, uh, let's hop right in. Now, we love to give you guys a general overview in case you hop in on this episode uh, before listening to all the others. Uh, just so that you know where we're at and why we're going through this. So to start, Kevin, what is Gentle and Lowly about? Yeah, so it's centered from the passage in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so, Mm. you know, the point of the book is trying to drive us to this understanding of who who Christ really is, uh, what is the what is the heart of Christ, and kind of what is his natural inclination towards um, broken wayward sinners. Absolutely, and then the follow up question is why are we going through this book? And so as we look at um, what is this book about? It draws us into not just understanding these, but seeing how they apply to our lives and how we can take our head knowledge of what we're learning to really apply and see the heart of Christ uh, lived out in our lives and through our lives and to just rest in the hope and life that we have in him uh, amidst all the craziness that life has to throw at us, which we are definitely going to get into today a little bit and a lot of maybe the mental stresses uh, that can happen. But without giving away too much uh, there, uh, I'll let David instead give us a quick overview of this here chapter 21. Yeah, I'm going to try to not, uh, you know, dive in too much because I think this is what we're going to talk about. Sure. Um, but chapter 21 is based on Romans 5, right? And, and in Romans 5, uh, the author of the book 
takes us back to Romans 5 to remind us that, you know, Jesus loved us in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our sin, right? And so he he does that and then says, look at what Romans continues to do. It tells us, it reminds us that Jesus loved us in the midst of our sin to then help us realize that if that was the case in the midst of our sin and our brokenness, why are we going to doubt his love and his heart for us now that we are living lives seeking to glorify him? And so that ultimately that, that should encourage us and give us confidence as we lead as, as we lead our lives to to honor him. So hopefully we'll flesh that out a little bit more and dig into Romans chapter five. Um, that's kind of the the focus of chapter twenty one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is definitely a very, very good chapter that I think a lot of people struggle with uh, some of the ideas we're going to be covering. So pay attention. Uh, if you haven't read the chapter, go read it. Uh, I would say there's a lot of really, really good one-liners in this chapter that were very quotable, uh, as you'll see uh, us reference throughout our talk, which a lot of this book is, but I think this one specifically had a lot of little bits that were like, wow, that was, that was good. So to start, though, do you have a harder time believing God fully forgives your present sins as a Christian than believing that he forgives your past sins as a non-Christian? Why or why not? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because at face value, I would say initially I have a hard time believing that God forgives my sin, period, right? Um, but if you divide them into both categories, I think as I thought, I was like, well, naturally, like like my brain is like, yeah, he had to forgive you for the sins before you knew what was what was even sin, right? Before you even like were trying to live a life that wasn't just full of sin. Um, but then like to think, okay, so he forgave that, but then now he also forgives and is 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 willing to forgive my sin now that I know something is wrong. That to me is definitely the the tougher of the two to swallow because in one in one sense. Although when we look at scripture, we really see that we can't really claim ignorance. But in, in, in some ways, we at least calm our conscience that way. Well, I didn't know, right? In the same way that if we, if we use the example of like a kid, if, like, if, if someone does something that they're not supposed to, but they don't know that they're not supposed to, we kind of take it easy on them. But if it's someone that has been on the team and the family and in that position for years, and you're like, dude, you know you're not supposed to be doing this you're like, eh, I don't know if I'm as, as willing to, to forgive that individual. So much like every other chapter we've gone through, we, and when I say we, I mean I, um, apply the same logic that I use to judge other human beings to the way that God judges and loves. Um, and then Romans 5 just slaps me straight in the face and says, yeah, that's actually not, not how God works. But I, I would say, frankly, for me, that's what I find tougher. And I think, for, like I said, kind of like fleshed out a little bit of why I lean that way. But also, just like my natural, I had just, just my natural inclination, and I've said this multiple times, of just like wanting to earn things, including forgiveness. Like, how could I ask for forgiveness for something that I already know I'm not supposed to be doing? Um, it's, it's definitely an ego thing i would say personally when i when i answer this question yeah no i i agree with all that i i think when you when you know paul actually gets into this but later this chapter and into the next that idea of like i know what i'm supposed to do right and yet i don't do it 
right? I mean, like that, that is the great conundrum of a Christian, right? Because he, he establishes this, this idea here, but then he knows what that pushback is going to be like, well, wait a minute. Like, how could he forgive? Like, if you know what you're supposed to do, right? Right. Like he, 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 so Paul's got some like weird, like literary things going on sometimes where like he repeats himself in areas that, that, well, I'm a poor speaker, so I would do it as well. But you know, like you wouldn't, you would imagine like a a very eloquent speaker probably wouldn't. But one of the things I think he does really, really well from an argumentation standpoint is he always kind of anticipates right pushback, pushback from from his reader, and he he anticipates that here in Romans five because he he makes this statement here, you know, in these first eleven verses of Romans chapter five, and then he spends the next two or three chapters unpacking that, obviously getting to Romans eight, which is just that beautiful beautiful chapter on assurance but you know one of the things I was thinking through when we when, when I read this question was the idea of I, I think it'd be foolish to overlook the reality that spiritual warfare plays in this situation specifically in the life of a believer uh, you know the enemy wants us to doubt whether the finished work of Christ is really good enough for us or not I, and I, I would go so far as to say, like, as we read this book, like, this book in many ways is like a balm to what the enemy wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll read this to you if you guys don't mind. I'm going to be reading Absolutely. quite a bit here for just I'm, a minute. But <laughs> I, I immediately thought about this passage in Screw Tape Letters. The majority of my prep time was actually going to find the specific part <laughs> of Screw Tape Letters when I was prepping for this. Um, but in one of the letters that Screwtape sends to his nephew, Wormwood, if you've never read Screwtape Letters, it's uh, a book. It is, it is a fictional book written by C.S. Lewis from the perspective of a, a demon who is a higher-level demon, a leader you know, in Satan's army of demons, demons who is, is writing to his nephew, a younger demon, on how to keep his patient who is a newer Christian from growing in Christ, basically. Like, so it, it is, it is not what I would describe to be as like theological truth. You should not be deriving all of your theological truth about angels and demons and spiritual warfare from the book. But I, I do think it can be helpful at times to see how the enemy could possibly work. And, there's this passage in there, that like as I was thinking through this, I was like, "This, this is this reminds me of what Screwtape says to Wormwood in one of the chapters." He says, "I was delighted to hear that your patient has made some very desirable new acquaintances. I gather that the middle-aged married couple who called at his office are just the sort of people we want him to know: rich, smart." superficially intellectual and brightly skeptical about everything in the world. This is excellent. No doubt he must very soon realize that his own faith is in direct opposition to all the conversations he has with his new friends. He will be silent when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. He will adopt all sorts of cynical and skeptical attitudes which are not really his. But if you play him well, they will become his. Humans tend to turn into the thing they pretend to be. This will open that patient's mind to doubt. But don't get too excited, nor think that the best method is an intellectual attack on the patient's faith. 
The only thing that matters at all in the mind is moving the patient nearer to the enemy or nearer to us. Our real business is undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues. It is the virtues that become habits that are really fatal to us. And I thought, like, especially that last section, because obviously, right, not all of that entire interaction there that screw tape is describing is applicable to what we're talking about in sure. the chapter. But, it's, but, but the premise behind it makes a ton of sense, right? Here you have the patient who's made a new group of friends who are not believers who he likes quite a bit that screw tape encourages wormwood. Hey, like this relationship can really be used to pull this person away from Christ. And he says something there that I, I want to repeat. Right, he says this will open the patient's mind to doubt. Mm. He doesn't even speci- specify like what he's trying to get him to doubt, other than just God's sovereignty and existence and all things. Right? He says the only thing that matters at all in the mind is moving the patient nearer to the enemy or nearer to us. Our real business is undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues. It is the virtues that become habits that are really fatal to us. And obviously he's talking to Wormwood from the opportunity of like the more sanctified and the the deeper he he goes in his walk with the Lord, the more he will begin to look like Jesus. And that's really, really problematic for them as demons, right? But I would say, like, the reason why that struck me so much was is that a Christian that can rest in the fact that they're forgiven in Christ for every sin, past, present, and future, is far more likely to repent. Mm. And one that is far more likely to repent is far more likely, I think this is both in my experience true and biblically true, to overcome sin develop virtue and put sin to death and therefore and therefore walk in more joy in the long run. And so I think one of the great tools that that the enemy uses when when we have sin is to instead of getting us to focus on the work of Christ and what he's done for us and his mercy and his forgiveness for us, he instead gets us to focus on the sin. Mm. Yeah. And the fact that we failed and we don't want to become antinomian, right? We don't want to. We don't want to say like, for those that that don't know that word, that means anti-law. Like the law doesn't matter. Our performance doesn't matter. Like that's clearly not true. Yeah, right? Romans then addresses that as well. Absolutely <laughs> right. Right. But from a justification standpoint, mm-hmm. our works do not justify the finished work of Christ justifies, and so we. You know, this is one of the reasons why community is so important. This is one of the reasons why I, I would say good theology is important. This is one of the reasons why I think reading your Bible consistently is important. We're apt to forget these things because mm-hmm. the world doesn't operate this way. And being reminded of how God, how good God really is really, really matters if we're going to walk forward in this in this type of thing. And so I would say, like, I think... As a pastor, I've seen consistently, I, I don't know anyone that doesn't struggle with this on some level. Like it, I, it, it's, I would go so far as to say it's borderline impossible not to because the condition you know, of, our, of our fallen nature is one that wants to be self-justified. 
And, and even when one submits himself to the lordship of Christ and sees that the language that we hear being used by Paul and the other apostles in the New Testament is one that once someone submits to the lordship of Christ is, is the running of a race, the putting oneself into submission, the disciplining of oneself. And they're not just talking about your actual performance and obedience to Christ. They're talking about also your mind. Right, being renewed in your mind and disciplining your mind to be reminded of the truths of the beauty of the gospel, not your own performance. And so I, I think like this chapter is super important because it's a, for some of you, it might be a balm, like a reminder of like, hey, like you can't out God's love. Mm-hmm. Like I love what Jesus says right before he breathes his last, he says, it is finished. And what he's referring to is the wrath of God has been fully satisfied by what he's doing on the cross there. And like, I wasn't alive yet. My kids weren't alive yet. My wife wasn't alive yet. My grandparents weren't alive yet. My parents weren't alive yet. My great-grandparents weren't alive yet, you know? And yet that declaration was made over all of those who are in Christ, that it was finished, it was fully paid for. And that's really, really important for us to remember when we inevitably do fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, I, just that was so good. I, I, I love C.S. Lewis. And <laughs> if you haven't read the Sweet Tip Letters, you should. Um, but, yeah, that something that I, that I did want to add to that is when we come to Scripture— Right. And, and, you know, with what I had said earlier, like, okay. And then we come and we read what Dane says or what he's highlighting from Romans five. And we're like, oh, there goes my, my, either my assumptions or my thoughts. It's like, I love that you brought it all back and highlighted, okay, this is spiritual warfare. This is what it, this is what we're warned about in scripture, right? Like the, the Bible doesn't tell us that the, that the, that the spirit is the one telling us we're still condemned. Mm-hmm. The Bible's like very clear that that's, that's not the spirit's job. The spirit convicts, right? It, it, yeah. it will tell you what you're doing is wrong. If, if what you're doing is It'll not, tell you you're not living up yeah. to the standards. Yeah. But in, in no way does it call hit someone who is a son or a daughter, a not son or, an, or not mm-hmm. a daughter. Right. And so knowing that, you know, when, even like when, when I was saying like, Oh, I, I, you know, my focus is on my performance or what I'm, that's the devil saying, like, yeah, that's where I want him to be focused. Of course, absolutely. That's where I want his right. mind to be, right? And 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 you've talked about this before. Satan loves a legalist, right? <laughs> well, and, and 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 naturally, like, 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 part of his ammunition is the the good work of the spirit, right? Like, the spirit makes us very aware of our sin, right? It makes us very aware of our inability to save ourselves, which is why, to your point, which is why theology is such an important thing, because if you just take half of a verse or half of a part of scripture, you can be like, yeah, I'm terrible and I am hopeless. And you're like, I, I mean, partially, <laughs> partially. Um, but, but the gospel story doesn't end right. there, right? There's so, the, the, you're missing this whole other half. The yeah. devil's like, just focus on this right. newfound knowledge that you are sinful and don't deserve God's love. And he's like, but please, like, keep their attention away from the fact that 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 the that the good truth is that even in the midst of that, God God still loved us. Even in the midst of that, Jesus still died for us. How 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 much more does He not love us, and is He not willing to forgive now that you know we have already been 
united and justified yeah. um, through the blood of Christ. So, yeah, yeah. And by all means, uh, you guys know that I'm very, very in favor of realizing and recognizing spiritual warfare with like charismatic background kind of stuff. <laughs> now, I will say I think some people can take it too far, but like it the is devil such made a me do it. Yeah, that kind, yeah. Of, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But you know, looking <laughs> at the reality that it is still like such a prevalent reality. I mean, the Bible is very clear. Like our our battle is not with flesh and blood; mm-hmm. it is with like spirit, like the spiritual realm. Like that's where stuff is really happening. So, um, and to reiterate something uh, that David kind of said, but to give you guys a really strong alliteration to work with, and if you need to remember, like. The spirit does not condemn. The spirit does not condone. The spirit convicts. So, you know, like on both sides, he, you know, we don't press towards legalism. We don't press towards license uh, to just do whatever we want. But we, we stand in the middle to really like. Right. We press towards word. repentance and faith. Right. Yes, that's what conviction. Exactly. That's what that's what spiritual conviction leads to yeah. is repentance and faith. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. Right. This is why Christ says you have to die to self. Right. Because you can't, you you are not allowed to redefine the terms of what it means to be obedient. And you are not allowed to try to justify yourself because you will be unable to do so. Yeah. Right? So therefore, you die to self, you repent, you have faith that Christ's work was sufficient for you. There is no other way. The, 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 the way is narrow that leads to life. And yet it's wide in the arms of Jesus. This is the way. I had to get it in. Mm-hmm. Little, little, little Mando reference yeah. there. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as we continue our discussion on the struggle and wrestling with our current sins, I'm going to actually read for us Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, uh, which is where we're kind of like seeing this chapter uh, ruminate in one of my favorite words. Um <laughs> So, I'll start us in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also reject and rejoice, sorry, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So as we Reflect on those verses. How would you put into your own words the inner logic there in Romans 5? How does that logic apply to your ongoing life as a disciple of Christ? I used to have this this buddy of mine who, um, like, if we were talking to somebody about God, he he hated apologetics. And that's probably not actually, like, really true, but he would just be like, you got to do something with Jesus, man. Like, I, I, I don't care about, like, Jesus was a historical figure that's pretty much set, and here's all the things that he said. And, and like, he'd love to just ask, like, why did Jesus die? Like, why did he die? What happened to the body? Like, he'd just love to do that. And I think, like, when you, that's kind of what Paul's getting at a little bit here is this idea of, like, well, hold on, right? 
Christ really did live. Christ really did die. And if he really did do that and he declared that he did it because he loved us, then how, and that displays then so many things, right? But if God loved us then at that moment enough to like actually send his son and to have his son lay down his life willingly to satisfy the, the wrath of the father, then he has purchased us, as we're seeing there, right? He has redeemed us, right? He has loved us. Uh, I, I even wrote this down, right? He has sanctified us. And if we want to, if we want to, Maybe go down that rabbit trail a little bit. I'd I'd love to do so, though. I I would argue that that it's it's a theological truth, and maybe it's like it's not implicit. It's not explicitly said here, but it's implicitly said here. Although um, Hebrews chapter ten uh, would explicitly say it. Right? Sure. Right. Hebrews ten would say, um, starting in verse eight, when he said above, "You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sinner offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So he's talking about himself being given as an atonement, right? Then look at what, look at what it says about this. And by that, he will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, right? Meaning like there's this idea or this this understanding theologically and we're going to get into some really wonky territory here in just a minute but like to be to be promised to be justified is to also be promised to be sanctified right meaning that even that doubt we have on like whether god is really good enough if we're really in christ the, the sanctifying work of the spirit will will pull us through that right because god's love for us is to not just purchase us but then to keep hold of us Right, that to to use the the language of their formers to lead us to persevere until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I I think like there's this this beautiful idea that if God demonstrated His own love for us in that moment, like what could possibly separate us? I'm fairly yeah. confident, Paul uses that exact language a few chapters later in, yeah. in Romans 8. <laughs> like, I'm fairly confident nothing could separate us from the yeah. love that is in Christ Jesus, including our present sin and future sin. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if we want to talk about that idea of sanctification a little bit more or not, but... <laughs> do you do you have more to say? I, I don't. I just didn't know if, if Isaiah wanted to go into monergism or synergism with me and... I, I think I definitely can. would love to hear you both go <laughs> at that while I just sit here and watch. We're gonna we're gonna carry on. Yeah, we'll leave it for a week where I can bring, yeah, bring yeah. popcorn. If you're curious um, about what those things are and discussing it, you can email us and maybe we might talk about it. I emphasize the word maybe. Anyways, go ahead. Y- yeah, if 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 you want more information of what Kevin was talking about, go ahead and. Go to Romans eight twenty nine mm-hmm. uh, and thirty, and there it kind of talks a little bit about you know being conformed to the image of of His Son, which is Christ, which is the basic I would say definition of sanctification. Um, but yeah, great great points uh, with Kevin. I'm gonna I, Isaiah talked about this chapter being like super quotable, so I'm not gonna lie. This whole point I cheated. <laughs> that you did. <laughs> Dane literally was like, like he was 
working out this idea of what this section is. And then he just like writes a paragraph and I'm like, okay, that was helpful to understand. And then he writes a sentence. And I'm like, that was a lot clearer. Writes a smaller sentence. I was like, that's even more clear. Writes an even smaller sentence. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm not going to try to put this into words. <laughs> um, but, but, and, and I talked a little bit about this in, in the summary of, of the chapter, but ultimately the, the interior, like, logic or thought process in in Romans 5 is if if we as Christians and you have to right like no Christian can claim to be a Christian and not believe that with while we were yet sinners that Jesus Christ died for us like you can't not hold to that yeah. if you're a Christian right like it's a prerequisite we could you just have to throw out all the writings of Paul which would then maybe cause you to not stand with historical Christianity but yeah well and I would I would say if 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 that was not when he died, if you're in this side of the millennium, right? If you're if you're in two thousand something, then when did Jesus die, or did he just not die for you? Then you have bigger problems, I I reckon. Um, but so his his thought process is, if that is something you hold hold to and believe to be true, right? And that through that we have been reconciled to God. If that is his disposition for us even then, in the midst of our sin and our brokenness, how are we going to doubt his willingness to forgive and love us now that we've already, one, been reconciled to him, but are, two, actually trying to live lives that honor him, Yeah. right? And so he says, you know, if he took the initiative then, what what's going to stop him now? If you're like, oh, because I, I'm, I'm sinful. He's like, yeah, that you— did you not read the verse? You were sinful when Christ died for you, right? Um, he says, uh, through his son, he drew us He drew us near when we hated him. Will he remain distant now that we hope we can please him? He again says, he willingly suffered for us when we were failing as orphans. Will he cross his arms over our failures now that we are his adopted children? And, and last, he says, his heart was, this is where he sells the book, right? His heart was gentle and lowly towards us when we were lost. Will his heart be anything different towards us now that we are found? That's the internal logic of Romans. I'm not going to try to make it sound any cleaner or neater than that. That's why this man writes books. That's why I just read them. Yeah, no, I feel like this is such a... Uh such a helpful chapter because a lot of people I do really think struggle with this like on the regular because we as Dane kind of pointed to it in the chapter was just this idea that once we receive Christ we are aware of our sin more like day to day and we recognize it's actively still happening sometimes and it's really frustrating um, you know, and especially when we deal with shame and we deal with fear, like these are things that can really freak us out sometimes and hold us back as we wrestle with, um, our present struggles. Um, but you know, in like the reality is fear and shame is rooted in the lies of the enemy. Like we talked about earlier in that spiritual warfare and like, how do you fight lies with the truth? Like, it's a very simple idea. And that's what this chapter does such a good job of doing. You'd be like, Hey, I'm going to hit you at it again and again and again and again that Christ is like 
greater than anything you can do in the present and that like he has paid for you in him. And it's like such a beautiful idea that really presses us to rest in that hope. And then ultimately still see like through that, like if we're receiving that, if we're understanding that, then as Kevin stated earlier, and even Dane hits on uh, at the end of the chapter, just the reality that we will grow in actually overcoming our sins more likely than if we weren't to believe this uh, and see uh, growth through that and greater success, greater repentance, a greater desire for those things. And I, I think like that's such a, a beautiful hope in the midst of, you know, a lot of this is a battle grind, a battleground in the mind and the heart uh, for everyone. So, as we look to the hope of Christ in the midst of our present struggles, then, is it possible for you who are in Christ to become any more secure in the heart of Christ than you are right now? Will you be more secure in heaven than you are right now? So, I'll start off by saying I, I think this this is a question and probably I'd say a topic that there is it, it'd be it'd be silly to to act like there's no disagreements or mm-hmm. different views, um, and I, I think this is clearly like while while I would hold pretty strongly to my beliefs, I I I would never be like well if you disagree with me like. You're not a Christian, right? Like, I, I think I think there is room to have discussions here, but I think ex- just just to be clear, you're talking about like the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints or eternal security. Yes, yes, called. yeah, yes. Um, not about the topics of salvation that we right, have already right. discussed. Um, <laughs> let me let me clearly say, if you are not trusting in the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I am sorry. You cannot call yourself you, a Christian. You are not a um, historical Christian. Sorry. Can't. Um, but, but so I'll start with that. But I think explicitly how the question is asked, will you be more secure in heaven than you are now? Or will you be any more secure in the heart of Christ than you are now? I think how that question is explicitly asked, I, I think the answer is pretty clearly no. And I would say this, if, if you... If we're going to make the argument or if we're going to say, well, maybe I'll be more secure in heaven than I am now in the heart of Christ. Well, then we have to make the argument that the heart of Christ would change. Right. And and I think the Bible, you could go to Hebrews yep. and, and it makes a pretty strong case that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yep. today and forever. Right. And that's our, that's the bedrock of our faith. So. Even I, I would I would venture to push back even if someone who says like, yeah, but the issue isn't will will Jesus in his heart for me be different, but will I change? And I'll say, I'll make that concession. Even if you want to disagree and say that you could out uh, outfight the love of Christ, which I I am not convinced you can. But even if you even if you are convinced that you could, what I think should be the actual takeaway of every Christian from this passage is, that the heart of Christ for you will not ever change. And that is something that we can grasp onto. That is where our entire life and Christian faith is built on. And if we place it on anything else, especially like Isaiah said, lies of the enemy, or even you know, just what we hear from others and not in what God has explicitly revealed about himself, 
then we we do run into danger of of building our 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 house upon a sand sort sort of speak. Yeah. So I I really I really don't. I I think not nothing nothing can un unchild you yeah. as dane dane says in the book he has this this great quote i think it's by flamel i don't know nicholas flamel is that or flavel flavel yeah, yeah flamel is flamel's from harry, harry potter. potter harry potter nerds <laughs> are are <laughs> rioting right now they're like did he just did dane ortland just quote i'm going to go buy this right now <laughs> Yes, uh, the creator of Not the Philosopher's quite. Stone or, or the Sorcerer's Stone if you're American. Um, <laughs> Which makes way more sense, by the way. Fair. Um, but Sorry, Brits, but we got that one right. A philosopher just doing some alchemy? Give me a break. Kevin, how does... <laughs> how I have to get this in here. How does Harry Potter go down a hill? No idea. Walking. JK, rolling. But I'm... Sorry, had to get that out there. But so he qu- he quotes Flavel, and Flavel puts it this way: he says, "Those in Christ are eternally imprisoned within the tender heart of God." And, and like I said, I it's really hard to make a compelling argument. The free to, will people are just me. absolutely losing their minds over that quote. That's fair. <laughs> I, I would I would I would say I. I like I said, I, I want it to be clear that there's a lot of room to disagree here. But ultimately, if there's one thing we can all grasp onto is that the love and the heart of Christ for sinners and for his people is the same today, is the same tomorrow, and will yeah. be the same for eternity. And that's 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 the bedrock of our faith. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Dane said something along the lines of in the in the chapter that that he eagerly suffered for us as orphans, will he cast us out now? Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking about this idea of like, hey, like an orphan doesn't bring anything to the table of value. So when they're chosen to be adopted, you know, it's not it's not as if like it's like, oh, like, well that that orphan that's been left by their parents or whatever else that has no money, nothing to their name is more worthy than the other orphan. No, it's it's completely like the kindness of the the family that ad, that adopts the father and the mother that adopt the child that that redeems that child. The same the same goes for us then if this is the the line of logic that we're following of, of what Christ has done for us, right? It's like well the you know, I'm the orphan. I didn't I didn't bring anything. Well, each that that orphan is likely never going to be at a lower state than what it's bringing into at the beginning of that relationship. Right. So like if the parents choosing them, then what, what would cause the change? Right. Not again, we're talking about illustrations here. I don't want to get into the, well, what if the child, you know, becomes, you know, crazy and wants to try to kill the parents where it's like, okay, thank you for trying to create the philosophical. What about ism? I'm, I'm not interested in walking down that <laughs> trail with you right now i'm just trying to get the the idea behind like the the magnitude of god's love for his people that's that's being put on display here but i've been working through the book of isaiah in my devotional time what a great guy great name (laughs) sorry continue thank you isaiah um i've been struck you know the first like 40 chapters of isaiah is just like isaiah railing on israel and judah of like babylon's coming it's over 
there's 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 nothing else you can do. It's over. But post chapter 40, it's all about God coming to redeem his people, including a people who are not his people already. Mm. And specifically Isaiah 51 really kind of spoke to 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 this idea in this chapter in my opinion because Isaiah 51 is the Lord speaking through Isaiah trying to comfort Israel to come back to him after the exile. He's like, just, okay, discipline's over. Like, come back to me, right? He's, and he kind of gives, like, these various incentives in chapter 51. Um, but the one in verses 7 through 8, I think, like, really stuck out to me of, of just, like, this kind of beautiful reminder uh, of what, what God promises his people. He says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. So obviously one of the applications of those two verses is believers are going to suffer at the hands of wicked men and women for proclaiming Christ. Right? That that's part and 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 it's an encouragement to stay faithful mm-hmm. and to continue to trust in in the suffering servant as we see who he is here in just a, a chapter or two, right? The the promised one, the Messiah. Right? But I think we would be remiss if we didn't say, especially that line, fear not the reproach of man, we didn't include the possibility that we might actually be the authors of our own reproach sometimes. And what I mean by that is, hey, what when I sin presently and I like play that internal head game with myself, Right. Obviously there's a spiritual warfare aspect going on, but am I really like am I really receiving the reproach of man or am I am I actually like condemning myself and bringing reproach upon myself? Right. And the encouragement that God gives his people here is keep going. Right? Because my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Meaning, hey, that, that reproach can't not outdo the righteousness of Christ. It's forever. And that deliverance, that salvation, is to all generations, mm. including the generations of your life, <laughs> if you want if you want to talk about it that way, right? pre-Christ, present reality, future reality in Christ. Mm. That salvation is to all of them, and obviously to future generations of people that will live on the earth yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a really good word, and I think that's what we're going to end it on because that was uh, a great encouragement, I think, for those listening. So uh, wherever you find yourself, uh, whether you feel 
uh, like life is going pretty well or it's pretty tough sometimes and there's a lot of struggles and strange in your life. There is nothing that can go um, beyond the love of Christ. And even where you stand at in terms of uh, some of your secondary doctrine, like we all are rooted in that reality that Christ's love just goes beyond anything we could ever do. And like his love uh, can overcome anything in that regard uh, in terms of our sin and our struggle. Uh, so turn to him, rest in him, uh, find hope and life in him. Don't try to do it on your own. Reject the lies of the enemy as we struggle with shame and fear, which are they try to feed on. At the end of the day, like we look to the hope of scripture and see the life that Christ promises us. Um, so yeah, with that, um, be sure to like, subscribe, share. Uh, we hope this was an encouragement to you. And if you feel it could be an encouragement to someone else, we encourage you to, uh, share it with others. Um, and on that note, go and be the church. The date and the time. No, no, if Kevin's going to go off. <laughs> Can you go off the rails if you're never on them? It's <laughs> a great question. I think it's time to start. All right. <laughs> I feel like that's a deep, deeply philosophical We could question. spend 15 minutes on that. That could really be unpacked for a while. Yeah, yeah. Can one go off the rails if they were never on them? We'll keep that in the back of our mind. If we have uh, extra time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.